Let's turn to the book of Ephesians, if you will, please. I am going to start a new series on the book of Ephesians on Sundays. I encourage you to please read along throughout the week. And uh, this morning what I want to share with you is the glorious belonging, a glorious belonging in the book of Ephesians. This book is, is, is uh, Paul's, um, how can I put it, uh, declaration of the glory of the church. He is pretty stoked. He's pretty excited. And the language that he uses and the verbiage is spectacular. It, it goes beyond um, what, what would be a formal address to something that he's trying to bring everybody into the heavenlies. He's trying for all of us and his people, the church, to see the glory of God. And he's speaking to the nations, if you will, or the Gentiles. I like to make reference, instead of having it Jews and Gentiles, having reference to nations, because that's what the gospel has come. It's opened now to all flesh, all people groups. And so Paul is writing to the nations uh, in this book of Ephesians, and he's trying to let them know how fantastic and how amazing it is to belong to Christ Jesus, to belong to the church in this dispensation and in this time. And he wants you to be enraptured by this truth and by what's going on. And I want to get you excited as well to really comprehend who you are, what we belong to. We belong to the body of Christ. This is something awesome to behold and to understand. You don't belong to a club. You're not paying dues to be a member of some fraternity or group. This isn't the Elks Club. This isn't the VFW Post. This is the church of the living God, the very body of Christ Himself. And we have got to be elevated to understand our belonging. It's a glorious belonging. Now, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you're my brother, you're my sister, and we belong to each other, and we belong to a community of saints upon this earth. So let me take you in to this amazing and wonderful book of Paul's. God's glory in us through Christ's work for us. So let's start at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he goes on to describe the plan that God had developed to bring us into this glorious grace. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Can you count them? How many spiritual blessings from heavenly places? Every. Every spiritual blessing. We don't even know what that means, and I'm excited about it. We are so earthly-minded as a church. We have gone into a season as the church to be so prosperity-ordered that we think what we have here is an indication of what we have there. And it's a sad state of affairs. 
When in fact, if you want riches laid up in glory, it's how much you get rid of down here that accounts up there. It's a completely different situation. Yet we hoard. We're hoarders. (laughs) We keep wanting bigger and better. And what God is saying is, you have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That's ours. You belong to Christ, then everything that Christ has belongs to you. That's awesome to consider. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Do you know what He just said? He said there's a lot. He said blessing a lot and grace a lot. I know this. He said predestination a lot. His plan, His will. All right, now let's put all this stuff together. Because he, he, he's so caught up in this grand plan of God that he's so excited about this abundant provision of grace that was lavished on us so that we are blessed by it. He has to describe it in eternal proportions. Right? All right? Eternal proportions of what is ours in Christ Jesus. So let me help you understand what he's saying. He said this thing was planned way from the beginning. It was predestined before time began. And I want to speak to you this morning about predestination. Calvinists love predestination. And what they focus on is particular predestination. And in scriptures, as they focus on God's predestined and predetermined plan, they focus on each individual. And what I see and what I understand in scripture is what was predestined is the time of Christ. Not necessarily every individual, but the predestined glorious plan is that there was a time coming when Messiah would open up to all mankind the availability of God's love. That's what was predestined. This isn't about each particular person. This is about the one, Christ Jesus. It was predestined from the beginning of time that Christ would pour out God's blessings and covenant promises on all people. Let's go back to this again, okay? Let me point this out to you so that you can see it. Look at verse 4. Here's the thing. At verse 4 it says this. Even as He chose us, what? In Him before the foundations of the world. The key here is in Him. It was established that we would be chosen in Him before the foundations of the world. So the predestined plan was a time when mankind could come to God through Messiah Jesus. It was predestined and planned in Him before the foundations of the world. Verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ 
to himself. There's the plan again. That he would bring all the nations, not just Israel, but all nations, all flesh, all people predestined before the beginning that through Christ he would adopt us as fellow heirs in Christ to be reconciled unto the Father. This was God's plan before it even began. Look at verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of this will. You see, it was hidden in him. No one understood it. Israel didn't understand it. The angels didn't understand it. These are things, as Peter says, the angels long to look into. It was hidden. It was a hidden mystery. That there would be this predestined time in human history when Messiah would be revealed, die for our sins, and make a way for all people to be reconciled to God. That was hidden in God's will before time began. The mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in himself again within himself this mystery he had purposed it he didn't he he gave indications here and there promises here and there but no one understood this predetermined plan of messiah verse 10 that in the what dispensation of the fullness of the times there it is that's what was predetermined are you with me is this heavy enough for you you with me you all right? You following? Should I start over? That in this dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. You see? That's what predestination is. The dispensation of this age called the church age, the dispensation of grace, the time when God had willed this thing in him. It was a mystery unknown throughout human history until Messiah came and revealed this plan. And what was predetermined or predestined was that Christ had come for all people. I'll go on further to prove it because some of you look at me like, It's not about the individual who's predetermined. It's about Christ who was. And the plan is to us. So check it out. Let's keep going on the same Scripture. Even as He chose us where? In Him. Before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, that's the predestined plan. According to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed, or we are accepted where? In the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth... In Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him. Hello. I feel like Grady. Hello. We getting it? Predestination was the time when Christ would come and open the doors of heaven. Predetermined, hidden in God's will and God's plan, that He would in fact reconcile the entire earth through Christ gathering all things unto him. What is predestined is that this is an opportunity for souls to come to Christ through faith. 
And that's the hour we live in. That's the glory. The day's getting late. The door is going to shut soon. And anyone, whosoever will, can call upon the name of the Lord. And it is God's determined plan that this is the age for the church, that we would go forward in Christ. Now, that's what we belong to, a predestined plan of God. You see, those who look at particular predestination, again, look at the individual saying, God decided before time you'd be saved, and you'd be saved, and you'd be saved. Well, basically, most of the people in this room would be saved. Some of you are not. You're just here because you're here. But before the foundation of the earth, God had decided to choose you. And what happens with that, it becomes about individuals instead of the one whom this is all predetermined for, the glory of Christ. They get this from Romans 9 where Paul is exhorting that God can choose whom he wants to choose. He can show mercy upon whom he wants to show mercy. And so uh, we need to let God choose who he wants to choose. But the whole point of that, if you go to particular predestination or individual predestination, you're missing the whole weight of Paul's argument in Romans 9. Paul is writing in a parenthetical chapter of Romans 9, he's writing to the Jews saying, listen, if God wants to now open salvation to Gentiles, who are you to say he can't? God can choose whom he wants to choose. And he uses their own scripture with them to prove that if he wants to save Gentiles, he can. If he said, Jacob I love and Esau have I hated, he can say, Gentiles I love and Jews I hate. If I want to, he can choose who he wants. And then he goes on and he says, hey, remember how Pharaoh hardened his heart against the will of God? Don't you harden your heart if God wants to show grace to the Gentiles. You see, this major shift in the New Testament was shifting from old to new covenant where now it is faith in the blood. And Israel was having a hard time transferring that over, thinking we've held the oracles of God, we have the law of God, we have circumcision, we've got the ark, we've got the tabernacle, we've got it all. You have to do what we did. And that's what the, the, this predestined plan was all about. This is the time now where God swings open the doors to the wedding banquet and says, go into the streets and invite everyone. It was predetermined by God. Aren't you glad you live in a predetermined time when God would say, whosoever will, come. You better say amen. That includes you. That we've been given. You belong to something God planned from before the beginning of time. Wow. It feels important to belong to something, doesn't it? See, that's why people gather in groups because they have a past and a history together. They have a common bond and purpose. We've got to remember what our common bond and purpose is. Well, our past is not just that I was born one day and I decided to choose Jesus. My, my past is that from the beginning of the foundation of the earth, God had predetermined a plan whereby which all could be saved through Jesus Christ. I was born in that season and that time and Christ opened my eyes and I'm with him. You're with him. We are a people who have an eternal destiny. This glorious love. Now look at this. He then goes on and says, since you belong, you have an inheritance. 
Not only was this thing predetermined from before human history and time and earth began that there would be the time of Messiah, but because of what Christ did, remember it all goes back to Christ, because of what Christ did, as we now have forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with the Father, we now have an inheritance with Him. And so we have a hope in a future. I have an inheritance. Now, Ephesians 1 is a glorious chapter to show us the Trinity, the triunity of God. We give praise to God the Father who gave us the Son, and now He says, seals us by His Holy Spirit. Look at verse 11. Let's go on now. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him. Could I stop and drive a point home? We've been predestined. There it is again. But what are we predestined? According to the purpose of Him. That's the predestination. The purpose of Christ, who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of His glory, in whom you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. Paul says, hey, look at we were the first ones who believed in Messiah. You see, after Christ died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, now there is a shift in the covenants of God from the old covenant to the new covenant. Paul said we were the first, first ones to believe. Now he's talking to those at Ephesus, now you believe. And he says about that, and and he could look down the corridor of time and look to Christ Community Church and say, we were the first belief, and then Ephesus, that group, I was talking to them. But also, hey, all then, 2,000 years later, you too belong because of this plan of God. You belong to the church, the Christ called out of the world. And he called us. And he said, this is what he did with us. Now, I like this about God. He put his mark on us. You ever, you ever collect things and can't remember where you put them? I thought for sure I had that receipt with me somewhere. Uh, really, I, I, do, uh, I do have my receipt. I'd like to pick my package up. I put it somewhere. It's um, God seals us with his own spirit unto the day of redemption. You see, when you came into this predetermined plan of God, you were cleansed by His blood, perfected by His grace, completed by His Spirit dwelling in us, so He seals us unto the day of redemption. I want to belong to that. I want to belong to that. And so what God has done has sealed us. He put His nature in us Many of us don't get this. Many folks don't get this. This is what's so amazing by what Paul is trying to say. Most of us think that our salvation is based on as much as you know in your head. Because basically that's how we believe. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. What's he look like? Well, he's got long hair, blue eyes. He looks like that picture I saw in in Sunday school. Really? Really? Let me ask you something. If your salvation was based on what you believe, do you believe enough? 
But if you were called of God and have faith in what he did on the cross, not how much you know about him, not how much Bible you know, but you know that he did that for you. That is what your salvation is based in. Your salvation is based on what Christ did for you, not your abilities. And he then, by your faith in what he did, his spirit came and invaded your being and took you out of Adam and put you in Christ. He sealed you. He he, he bought you with a price. You belong to him. No one can pluck you out of his hand. This is the word of the Lord. And so you're sealed. It's a glorious belonging. And all of this, each time he said, look at when we got saved, it's to the praise, to the glory, to the praise of his glory. Ephesus, your people who are saved, to the praise of his glory. Christ Community Church, you're a people who are saved, to the praise of his glory. This thing's glorious. This plan is amazing. It says it's his good pleasure to have done this. Now, I don't understand it. I really don't understand it all. I can't figure it out. How this totally works. Sorry, I'm very limited. But I can't. But what I do know is that it pleased God to do it this way. And that he lavished his love on this. The words that this speaks of are amazing. That God lavished his grace on us, his love on us, and caused us to be accepted in his beloved that means the way father feels about the son is now how he feels about you you are accepted in the beloved many of you have a a really terrible uh self-image i'm a loser i'm ugly i'll never amount to anything that is not how god looks at you even when you fail Because it's your faith in Christ that secures your salvation. And God looks at you as accepted in the beloved. That beloved he has for you. The beloved he has for his son. The love he has for his son he has for you. And you've got to walk into that. You've got to belong to that love. You've got to come into that love, brothers and sisters. And stop living in performance mode. Where you're up and you're down. You're up and you're down. This is what Paul's saying. This thing's glorious. It's glorious to the praise of His glory. You all have a future in Christ. You've been sealed by His Spirit. And it is wonderful. Now he goes on and he says, I just want to pray for you. I want you to know what it means to belong to Christ. Verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Father, Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now this verse is very powerful for us as a church because as a matter of a year or two years ago, it really brought um, an increase of wisdom and revelation as to our purposes and plans. We began praying Ephesians 1.17 all year in 2011. It was powerful. Now what he's saying is, this thing is so amazing, it is predetermined before the beginning of time, and it gives you an inheritance past human history into eternity. Are are you getting the, the size of this thing that you belong to? All right? 
And since it's that, he says, I need to pray for you that the power of the Holy Spirit would give you wisdom and revelation to know what you belong to. Isn't that a prayer that the church needs to understand today? We need revelation and wisdom to know what we belong to. Who wants wisdom and revelation to know? Are you sure? Because when he begins to impart wisdom and revelation to know him better, it's going to mess you up. Can I be perfectly honest with you? A lot of people don't want that. They know enough about Jesus to keep their life as stable as they can. But Paul's saying, you don't know the half of it. There is a realm that we're not living in that we have got to move into. That realm that has eternal proportions. That's what we teach at this church. This this isn't a Sunday go-to-meeting church. This is a church that wants to mess you up every Sunday, every Wednesday we get a chance to have an encounter with Jesus so that we're never the same again. Now we may shrink in size because the world is going to come against that kind of thinking. And it's going to get hard for Christians to fight against the power and the movement of this world, especially as it's moving against Christianity. But we're a people who are devoted to the eternal understanding of what we belong to. So let's take a look at what he's praying for. He said, I haven't stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. And he says, these are the three things I want you to grow in the knowledge of. You ready? I want you to know what is the hope to which he has called you. Hope is right is a vision faith is the substance of things hoped for hope is your vision hope is your purpose hope is what you live for he said i want you to know what you're living for what you've been called to do know this hope have a purpose in your life if anybody has purpose in life it's christians we have a calling by god himself to live our lives for Him, to His glory. When I buy a sandwich, I buy it because God has allowed me to have money and I'm going to nourish my body so that I can do something for Him today. That's how I think as a Christian. That's how we're supposed to think, literally. That everything is captured and captivated in our thought life to Christ. Everything we do, oh, that seems awfully hard and tedious. Not if you're led by the Spirit and living in the Spirit. I'm not telling you to go to Subway and go, just a minute, just a minute. Uh, uh, In Jesus' name, I'll have some salami. Uh, Onions today? Onions? No, okay. Spinach. I think the, the Holy Spirit's saying spinach right now. I'm not saying like that. I'm using it as an analogy. That everything we do is under the glory of Christ. 
but we're to take captive everything we do. We get up in the morning and we say, how can I serve you, Lord? We have a purpose. We have a hope that we're pleasing God in all that we do, that his spirit is living out in us. Paul is saying this thing is so amazing that from the very beginning of time there was this age when you could come to God through Christ and know this love and be loved as his own son. Walk in it. Absorb it. Live it. Second thing he prays for, I really want you to know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints. What is yours? He's given us gifts. Know your gifts. Know how you're to be used by the Holy Spirit. And if you know how to use the gifts you have, earnestly contend and seek for more. I don't know anybody that is satisfied with what you got. In the physical realm, are you satisfied with that car you have? (sighs) No! Pastor, I thought you just said, you know, we're not supposed to be so prosperity-minded to get another car. Understand the analogy that in the spirit realm, we should never be satisfied with what we have. He wants us to want, and in fact, in King James language says, earnestly covet the greater gifts. Covet the greater gifts. Lust after being used in a greater capacity by the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. How many of you are just hungering to be used in a greater measure by the Holy Spirit? I have an inheritance, amen? I have an inheritance. And that inheritance is to be used by God, which stores up treasure for eternity. That's our inheritance. Our inheritance, we need to adopt an understanding there's nothing that can stop us. And I will not quit. You're going to have to put me down in order for me to stop preaching the gospel and serving the Lord. I am going to go out completely spent for the gospel. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because we have a perspective that no one on earth does. Everybody else thinks they come from amoebas. I mean, most people think they evolved, therefore they have no identity or purpose other than the few years they live We have an eternal inheritance and an identity from eternity past to eternity future. We need to live like that, fearless and powerful for the Lord. I want you to know your inheritance in the saints. Start looking at what our inheritance is. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. This is the inheritance of the saints, Isaiah says. Last of all, he says this, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? In other words, he says, I'll back you. Somebody dreams some dreams. He's going to say this a little later in Ephesians. Unto him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or imagine according to the power that's at work in you. Somebody begin to dream dreams. Dream dreams. Think up thoughts that are going to change the community. Come on, as a group of people here, maybe 150 people here right now, can we come up with a plan to save this community? No, we can't. We're too busy. Should we end it there? Okay. Let's 
there is a power. He goes on to say what that power is. It's the power of the resurrection. He says that same power that raised Christ from the dead. He says this, so that you might grow in your knowledge of God, the immeasurable greatness, you can't measure it on the Richter scale, of His power towards us who believe that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. Is that power? Church is like a firecracker that's a dud. I remember having duds. Loved 4th of July. We'd go spend it in Canada where you could buy firecrackers. And we'd go there on the 4th of July and we'd get all these little firecrackers, you know, from, from ladyfingers to big biggies. And, uh, and, and, and we'd have this little mosquito chaser that would stay lit and we'd light firecrackers. Oh, it was great. Pew, oh, pew, pew, pew. Great. Every now and then you'd light one and you'd go, ah, <laughs> Dud. Then you'd keep throwing. Then you'd collect your duds. And you'd break the dud. Anybody do this? Break the firecracker that wouldn't, wouldn't uh, light, so you break it in half, and then you set it down, and you light it so that you get something out of it. <laughs> and it would go, And you felt accomplished. I just wonder how many duds that God needs to break and light a match to so that He gets something out of us. There is power, this amazing power in us. Again, I want you to read this first chapter and read the language by which Paul is speaking. He is speaking in the eternal realm for the church. He is focusing the church not on the earth, but up here in the heavenly places where all our authority lies. And he's saying, come on, people, come on. I'm praying that you're going to get the mystery of the revelation of really who you belong to and what this plan is all about. And it is backed fully by the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead and set him at the right hand. It is a glorious inheritance in everything that you do. It has a hope to which you've been called to. And he concludes with this, verse 22, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who dwells all in all. He's saying that the church is the vehicle by which his glory and his grace is magnified and projected into this earth realm for this season that was predestined, predetermined by God to be glorious unto his praise. That's the church. Amen. He later says, may there be glory in the church. Where's the glory? Show up, God, show up. He says, open your mouth. Stand and be accounted. We're a glorious church, brothers and sisters. And the glory is coming through us. And it's increasing in measure. It's backed by God's power. It has an inheritance that is eternal. And it gives us hope for what we've been called to. I hope that as you read this book of Ephesians, you will begin to understand just in fact what you belong to. Understand who you belong to and who we are.
you belong here. You belong to Christ Community Church. You belong to this place so that we can learn and grow together and do great exploits for the Lord. That's our hope of our calling. And we want to do this. Would you stand with me this morning and give praise to God? Amen.